in our series on the fruit of the Spirit. <clears throat> I had thought maybe I could finish today and just wrap up on this last of these nine aspects of the fruit of the Spirit. But I was halfway through my sermon preparation and realized, hold on, this is a sermon on its own, this last little bit at the end. I need to split this into three sermons, <laughs> this last bit. So I started again and... Um, we're just focusing on the word self-control this week. We'll, we'll finish off on, on the few things Paul says in the rest of uh, these verses towards the end of the chapter. Um, maybe not next week, maybe after Christmas. Self-control. But the, fruit, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit. Now before we read this, imagine... Imagine before we started this series that we had had a quiz, and I was to ask, "How many? What are the, what are the different aspects of the fruit of the spirit?" Now, when it comes to love, I imagine we get a lot of people would sort of put that down. Um, you can just imagine a TV show. You know, you get these quizzes, and you have to guess the right the right answers. Love would be up there as one of the top on the list. Joy. That will be up there too. Peace and patience will be up there as well. Kindness, that might make a, a high showing as well. Goodness, not too many people would, would maybe think of that. Faithfulness, maybe. Gentleness. But what about self-control? Is self-control one of the natural things that you think about when you think about the fruit of the Spirit? It seems somewhat out of place in this list, but it is part of the fruit of the Spirit. When we think of all these other things, sometimes I imagine in my head a godly man or a godly woman who is loving, who is patient, who is joyful, who is peaceful, kind, faithful and gentle. These are all things that I can see in them or I can experience from them. But self-control is something that happens inside them that I often can't see or experience. Self-control is something that happens that should be there in us. And it leads to patience and kindness and goodness and so on. But we often don't see it directly. And we don't naturally associate it as being part of this list. It's almost the Cinderella of the fruit of the Spirit. We need self-control. The first thing I'd like to look at is the need for self-control. We all know what it means. We all know what self-control is. Mostly from the fact that we often lack it. We can often identify the lack of something more than the presence of something. We don't notice too much when somebody who's a really nice person is very calm in a situation, like when there's a drill just annoying you. <laughs> but, you know, when somebody seems to be just peaceful and just glides through a situation, a bit like a swan on a lake, you think they don't have a problem with self-control. You don't see the, what do you call the, the duck's feet or the... the 
the flippers below. You don't see all the activity going on underneath. You don't see the struggle going on inside where somebody is itching to say something or respond in a certain way, but they have self-control and they don't. All we see on the outside is a calm person, a gentle person, even a joyful person through difficult circumstances. We don't notice when somebody has a lot of self-control. We think, oh, they're fine. They don't have the same problems as me, but they do. They just deal with them a bit better sometimes. We notice when they don't have self-control. We notice when somebody does something that really hurts somebody else. We notice the lack of self-control more than the presence of it. We lack self-control in so many different areas of life. How many times have you heard somebody say, I just couldn't help myself? There's so many different ways in in which this, this happens. Somebody who's on a diet or starts a diet and says, I just had to give up. I couldn't help myself. I just couldn't stop eating. Or it just happened. They were at a party or something and and before they knew it, they've had a one night stand. And then in the in aftermath of it, how did you let this happen? I don't know, it just happened. People say, it's almost an excuse. It's like, it, this is what happened to me. I had no control over the situation. We did, we just didn't have self-control in ourselves. Or I didn't think it would go that far after a flirtation turns into an affair. Or I couldn't resist it. I couldn't resist buying that thing. I saw it and it was in great offer. It was 5% off, so I had to have it. Retail therapy isn't just for women either. <laughs> I don't know if you've heard of The Ballad of Little and Aldi by Mickey McConnell. Um, this man who, when his wife was ill, he had to do the shopping and he went out to Little and he bought so much plastic stuff that filled the shed after a while that he wrote a song about it. About the shed full of stuff like a wetsuit, a spanner and socket set, a chainsaw and a portable generator in case the lights go out. So he didn't have a self-control. He saw it and thought, I want it. Our lack of self-control is an advertiser's dream. It's a <clears throat> They just need to actually show us something we don't have. I, I want it. We've got a perfectly good phone, but then the slightly different new model or car, whatever it is, comes out. We think, I haven't got the newest. This one's no good anymore. We want, we don't have the self-control to say, no, what I've got is fine. It fulfills all my needs. I'm happy with it. When people are selling us something, the sale is half done by just showing it to us. They hardly have to even convince us. And before long, we've, racked, we've spent weekly money that we couldn't afford. We've racked up debt that we really didn't want to rack up, but we hadn't got the self-control to say no. There's one man, <clears throat> Richard Dobler, gives an illustration of the, the impact overall that lack of self-control has. He, he used a, an analogy. He says, 
Well, lack of self-control might seem enjoyable. Sinful pleasures often do, to start off with, but they soon lose their attraction. And we find that after a while, we're in a world which which is lost. We're not in control of ourselves. And we're in a mess. Richard Dobler says, while he was on holiday, he took two of his two children to an amusement park, a fairground. It was really early in the morning and there was nobody else there wanting to go on that particular ride. One of those spinning rides where you're on this sort of cubicle that goes round and round as it goes round and round and up and down. And he thought, great, there's nobody else in the queue. The operator will give us an extra long ride. This will be great. Little did we know, the first few minutes were, they were fun. We laughed and enjoyed the funny feeling inside our stomachs. But after a while, the ride was not so much fun. And after more time, way past the length of an ordinary ride, I began to feel queasy. I wanted to get out, but I couldn't. First, we were going too fast to escape. Second, the centrifugal force had me immobilized against the back of the, the car. Every time we spun past the operator, I looked pleadingly at him, trying to communicate, please, I need to get out of here. But the operator kept the ride going. I guess he thought he'd let it run until more customers showed up. (coughs) After another few minutes, the ride became miserable. The funny feeling inside my stomach turned into a churning concoction that included my breakfast. I'd lost control. I was caught going around in circles, held down by a merciless carnival ride operator. What seemed like three or four hours after that, he finally stopped the ride. He said, I'm sure I was green at that time. I staggered off the platform and lost my breakfast. Of course, my kids gathered around cheering me on. They thought dad's discomfort was the best part of the ride. If you're caught spinning in a diabolical ride that started out fun but has turned into an addiction, if you're going around in circles powerless to get off, you know the helpless feeling of losing control of your life. You know what it means to need God's supernatural help to stop the ride so that you can escape. Life can become like that where things start out great with great expectations, great hopes for the future. But then the problems that accumulate, the lack of self-control, a bad decision leads to problems and we try another bad decision to try and overcome it. And one thing leads to another and we find we've done things that we really hadn't intended to do. Things have happened to us that we didn't want to happen. Sometimes we've put ourselves in situations where things have happened. Other times things just, it's what other people have done with their lack of self-control. How many times have you heard somebody say, stop the planet, I want to get off. That's what lack of self-control does for us. That's what being, well, the root cause of the lack of self-control. What's the root cause of it? It's bondage to sin. Paul describes people who don't have self-control, but who are instead controlled by sin. For many, 
of whom I have often told you, and I tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and their glory, and they glory in their shame. Their minds are certain earthly things. People boast about how bad they've been. Being wicked is something that people speak positively about now compared to in the past. They glory in their shame. They have their minds set on earthly things. Earthly as opposed to heavenly. And that earthly versus heavenly is really just a a synonym for sinful as opposed to holy. There's lots on the earth which is good, God's creation, but in this context it means sinful. James writes about it as well, our lack of self-control. Indeed, we all make many mistakes, and he singles out one thing. For if we could control our tongues, we would be perfect and could also control ourselves in every other way. In other words, what he's saying is we might have self-control in this area or that area, but the tongue, when it comes to what we say, our control of our tongue, that's the last thing that comes under the, the sanctifying effect of how the Holy Spirit works in our life. It's the last thing to be reformed in our lives. The philosophers call this problem of lack of self-control a crazia. And Paul describes it well in the very well-known passage in Romans 7, where he almost quotes one of the philosophers verbatim. He says, I am of the flesh sold under sin, for I don't understand my own actions. And this is a bit he quotes. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. I don't do I do not do what I want, but the very thing I hate. How often will we find ourselves in a situation where we know the right thing to do, but we we don't have the self control to be able to do it? We look back and say, Why did I make that decision? I should have known better. I did know better. That's what it is to be of the flesh. And that's Paul's way of describing somebody who's outside of Christ. There are, there are four different ways we can live. One is as an unbeliever, where we are of the flesh, and therefore we walk in the flesh. When we are glorified with Christ forever, we will be of the Spirit and completely walking in the Spirit all the time. One and four. Now the two and three, the two different ways, if we're a believer, we're not of the flesh, but we can walk in the flesh or we can walk in the spirit. Being of the flesh might look the same as, you know, if if we're walking in the flesh, a believer walking in the flesh might look the same as an unbeliever who is of the flesh. And sometimes it's hard to spot the difference. Is that person really a believer? They look so much like somebody who's of the flesh. Are they Christ's but just walking in the flesh? Sometimes it's hard to know. (coughs) 
But if you're in Christ, you're not of the flesh. If you're not in Christ, you are. But the problem is, our conscious mind is weak. The lusts and cravings of the body are strong, and we often find our minds not being able to stand up to the cravings of the literally the flesh. We give in to temptations of the body, the the hunger, the greed of the stomach, the lusts of the eyes, which is probably more of a mindful thing as well, but the sensuousness, the, the temptation to sexual sin, the hormones that really drives on we find sometimes, as people say, it just happened, I had no control. And because so many of our sins are associated with the flesh, the physical body, that's why Paul uses the, sin, the, the metaphor flesh to describe sinfulness. This lack of self-control is much more understandable when there's a, a physical addiction to alcohol or drugs. But our lack of self-control is much less excusable when it comes to giving in to temptation to adultery or theft or anger or violence. The problem is, as Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. Speaking generally of, of living outside of Christ, Jesus says that everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. Our inability to control ourselves, our actions, our thoughts, shows that we have a bigger problem. The problem is not just the sins. The problem is our slavery to sin. It's often thought that it's our sins that make us unrighteous. And if only we can stop sinning, we will be righteous. But actually, the problem is more deep-rooted than that. Sins don't make us unrighteous. We don't, we, we're not unrighteous because we sin. We sin because we are unrighteous. We're slaves to sin. We are already unrighteous. And sin is the fruit of our unrighteousness. Sin is the evidence that we are unrighteous. Sin, lack of self-control, is the evidence that we are not in Christ, that we are slaves, that we are under bondage to sin. We're not in control of ourselves. In one sense, in a very real sense, we're all victims of the controlling power that sin has over us before we come to Christ. We shouldn't be surprised when people sin, when things go wrong. We shouldn't be surprised that there's so many evil things happening in the world because we were born with this inherited sinfulness, this inherited unrighteousness. And we praise God that he restrains evil much more than we're aware of. And in a real sense, we're victims of being in bondage to sin. But it needs to be pointed out that just because we are slaves to sin, just because we inevitably sin and are powerless to ultimately avoid it, completely that doesn't mean that we're not responsible for what we do we do it we choose to do it we can do no other 
We're slaves to sin, but we it's us who do it. It's not excusable. The fact that we're in bondage to sin, slaves to sin, doesn't mean that we're off the hook for what we do. Although Paul notes that the lusts we struggle with are very often associated with the body or flesh, he uses this word flesh to describe our sinful nature. From in, in, in Romans chapter 3, he talks about the, what we say with our tongues. Our feet are quick to, to run after people and, and do all kinds of sins. Our, our eyes look. You know, he associates our body with sin to the point where you can use that metaphor. To the point where our slavery to sin in Romans 6, as he describes us as slaves to sin, he goes on in Romans 7 at the end to say, Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? And that's an allusion to one of the philosophers as well. Wretched man that I am was a very common saying, a very well-known saying. Paul is tapping in to what the Romans already knew. This isn't a new problem that he's presenting to them when he writes to the same thing in more detail to the Romans that he did in Galatians. And many people have felt wretched after sinning so much. John Newton's amazing grace that saved a wretch like me. He knew from having been involved in the slave trade how much he had done wrong. And the more we're aware of our own sin, the more we're focused, not so much on what other people have done, we're more focused on wretched man that I am. I'm the worst of sinners, as Paul thought of himself. And how many people want to be free from this cycle of sin? We can't do it on our own. We can't be free from this law of sin and death, as Paul puts it in Romans 8, verse 2. This cycle of sin that leads to to death and destruction. This saying, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me? That's a thought that echoes through so many people's lives. As they're drowning their sorrows, as they're in the aftermath of an angry outburst or physical violence, they think, I need rescued from this. How can I be rescued? How can I be changed? Who will deliver me from this bondage to sin? Well, the good news is that there's freedom in Christ. The next words that Paul has in Romans chapter 7 are, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. There is salvation. There is freedom from this wretchedness, this bondage to sin through faith in Christ. This lack of self-control, I can't do the good I want to do. There is freedom in Christ. God knows that we're slaves to sin. It's, it's precisely because he knows how much we are in bondage to sin that he didn't just tell us, try harder, try it again, try, try it really hard this time. Because as we come up to doing New Year's resolutions each year, each year 
year after year, we try harder, and the world is in a different place, pretty much. That doesn't work. God sent his son. He knew something radical needed to be done. He sent Jesus into the world so that we could be changed in him. Jesus said that he came to set the captives free. He came to set the respectable sinners free as well as the disrespectable sinners. He came so that those who are slaves to sin can become slaves of righteousness, as Paul writes in in Romans 6. The gospel is that there's forgiveness for anyone and everyone who will turn to Christ, from the the mild-mannered atheist to the self-righteous churchgoer to the the God-ignoring family man to the unfaithful partner to the corrupt businessman to the adulterer the ruthless terrorist the drug dealer even the abuser or the pedophile that might seem too shocking to us that even the worst of people could be forgiven. Naturally, we tend to look at people as the good people and the bad people. There's uh, the goodies and the baddies. It's, it, it's so common. Those who are not convicted and sent to jail or prison for something tend to think, well, I'm one of the good people. Those who are being convicted, they're the bad people. I'm, I'm righteous. But sin is not to be equated with conviction in court for having broken the law. There are me- Everyone has sinned. All have sinned. We all sin in different ways, small ways, big ways. There's some sins which are respectable in the eyes of the, the world. Businessmen who are corrupt... Nobody says too much about that. There are many other things that people don't point the finger on. But Christ came that we could all be forgiven, whether our sins are really bad in the eyes of the world or not so bad. Yes, there will be degrees of punishment in hell. Hitler and Paul Pot will get an awful lot more judgment and punishment than somebody who hasn't done as much wrong or evil as they have. But the destiny is the same for everyone, unless we are in Christ. doesn't matter whether we've been steeped in the dark depths of sin or been in the shallow end and just paddled in it. The fact is, we're all sinners. We're all in bondage to sin. And we all need rescue from it. We all need healing from the impact of sin as well. Well, what Paul says in Galatians 5.23 is, in Galatians 5.22 and 23, by the fruit of the Spirit, there is power to live a different way of life. There is power to live by walking in the Spirit. It's not just that God gives us a set of commands and then go and do it. He says, I'm coming with you. You're not strong enough. You need my strength. I'll help you do it. 
We can have victory over sin here and now. We can have self-control in all kinds of circumstances. As Paul puts in Romans, for the law or the working of the Spirit, the Spirit of life, has set you free in Christ Jesus from that cycle of sin that leads to death. That pattern of living, of being in bondage to sin, the Spirit has freed us so we can live as we ought to. He wrote a few chapters before, but thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. People were slaves to sin and then he goes on to talk of them as being slaves of righteousness. And while we still struggle with the old nature, if we're believers, we still, the flesh is still an influence in our lives and we will struggle with that until we go to be with Christ. We can have victory over it. When we were of the flesh outside of Christ, it controlled us. We could tweak it, we could maybe make good decisions at times and balance, but ultimately it controlled us. But now that we're in Christ, if we've trusted in him, we have a new power at work within us. We have the Holy Spirit within us. The Holy Spirit that can help us and enable us, empower us to, to walk in holiness. Imagine you were looking at a... <clears throat> we've probably seen enough films over the years to you see people in jail cells. And it's an awful life. Some jail cells in some parts of the world are really desperate places. And you wouldn't want to be there. Naturally, you wouldn't want to just choose to be there. The bars, the the door is locked. People are locked in. They have no choice. That's the unbeliever. But for the believer, the door is opened. And we can choose to stay where we are in the, the terrible situation that that is. Or we can choose to walk in the freedom that Christ gives us in the Spirit. And sometimes we're walking in the Spirit and and then we go back into the cell again and we place ourselves we're not literally in bondage we're not locked up but we live as if we are we walk in the flesh instead of in the spirit we have to remember we are free we don't we don't have to live like we did before peter writes <clears throat> His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence by which he has granted us to us his precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature. That's striking. We can become partakers of the divine nature. God's nature in us having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful 
in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. What Peter is saying is that essentially once you trust in Jesus, you're not automatically just transformed into a perfect person and never sins ever again. We have to work at it. We have to put an effort into it. It doesn't come as naturally. The old nature sin tempts us and is still pulling us. But we have to resist. Are you struggling with self-control? Well, the good news is that you're not controlled by sin anymore. You can be different by the power of the Spirit. But we need to choose to do so. Paul puts it to the Romans. He says, For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. We need to set our mind on the things of the Spirit. We need to, to choose to walk in the Spirit in order to walk in the Spirit. It's a choice. In the tiny things, listening to that small voice of conscience, that small voice of the Spirit that says, no, don't do that. Do this instead. Or that's dangerous. That'll lead to sin. Well, that's selfish. You might not look like it, but that's sinful. It's in choosing to put to death the sinful nature and choosing to live and walk in the power of the Spirit. It's, as Jesus put put it, taking up our cross daily and following him, putting to death the flesh and walking in the Spirit, staying close to Jesus. If we haven't experienced these things in that deep renewing and restoring righteous way, then let's simply turn to Jesus for forgiveness. He offers it to us as a gift. And it comes as a package. It's not just about forgiveness. It's about transformation. It's about getting the Holy Spirit within. Do we need to resolve things from the past? We have to do what we can to seek forgiveness, to be committed to changing, to trusting in the Spirit's power. Do we want to have more self-control? After trusting in Jesus and receiving the Spirit, we need to trust in His strength that we can be the person we need to be only by Him working in and through us. As Paul said, I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. No matter what situation we're in, we have the power to do the right thing. We have the power to have the self-control if we choose to rely on the power of the Holy Spirit instead of giving in to sin. And one of the ways to, to develop that, to learn how to do that, is by fasting. Fasting is the exercise ground for self-control that God gives us. If you're watching the football, the World Cup, you'll see the teams on the pitch. But before they go on the pitch, they've been doing their training for years, for weeks. And in the climate they're in, they've been there for days and weeks beforehand, getting accustomed to it. They don't just saunter up and, and walk on. They've been practicing. They've been training 
for a long time, and it's the training that makes them win. We have to do our training if we're going to have victory in situations where we're really tempted. We need to have been tested and exercised our self-control in the little things if we're to be able to, to stand firm in the day of temptation when things come on us that we're really not prepared for. In the early church, the Jews fasted on Mondays and Thursdays. So the, the apostle says, okay, they're often very hypocritical. You don't want to appear to be hypocritical. Christians will fast on Wednesdays and Fridays, twice a week. I'm not suggesting that we do that, but I'm, I think once a week would be good. If we're concerned about, you know, it's a, it's a big deal, maybe doing a 24-hour fast, start with just missing out one meal a day, then build it up to two and then up to 24. Or if you have a medical condition or other reasons you can't fast on something else, that it needs to be something that we, we struggle with. It might be watching TV, it might be various things. Jesus fasted and he resisted temptation. But he didn't do it without the practicing of fasting as well. We should fast too. Let's be encouraged. We can be, we can walk as the people God calls us to be. We can have the self-control we need. If we're walking in the Spirit, it's part of the fruit of the Spirit. But in order to have that, we need Jesus in our lives first. Praise God, we can be set free, that we can walk in this freedom of the Spirit with self-control restored by God's grace to us. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your patience with us. We thank you for the gift of salvation that is offered to us. We thank you for the package which comes with the Holy Spirit to transform us, to change us. Lord, forgive us. Forgive us, Lord, when we have sinned. Lord, we're responsible for all that we have done. But we come and we receive the forgiveness of Christ, the forgiveness of his blood shed on the cross in our place. We thank you for the new life we have in the Spirit. Lord, help us to walk in the Spirit, to develop our strength, to resist temptation, to have self-control by your Spirit working within us. Lord, we thank you. Be gracious to us. Help us to stay close to you and help us to see your power at work within us, a power that we don't have. In Jesus' name, amen.